be at this morning. Uh, we're not going to look at a particular verse, but we're going to look at the life of King Saul. Uh, glad that, uh, to be able to be with you this morning. The morning service was already uh, so good and the worship so good. And I love uh, being with Michael and Arissa and, uh, and Dan and Michelle and your staff. It's, uh, it's been good. It's been already a, a great day. And look at y'all. You've made it here this morning. You look good. You're put together. And uh, I'm sure everything went smooth in your, your house this morning. Uh, you got here. You got everybody fed and in the car. And uh, and so, but that's not how my house looks on Sunday mornings. Uh, I've got a teenage boy that I literally have to drag out of bed sometimes. Uh, I've got two, two teenage girls. So um, that's fun on Sunday mornings, uh, trying to get everybody ready and, and fed and in the car. And then there's the battle for territory in the car. You're touching me. You're, don't, uh, don't come over this way. We're going to listen to this music. I don't like that song. And, and so it's for us. It's just a battle even getting to church, and then you're supposed to get out and shake hands and love you and good to see you, brother, and, and all of those things. I'm telling you, Lionel Richie did not have my Sundays. It's a, uh, it's a totally different, uh, different thing. And so um, for us, uh, a lot of times it's frustrating when you look around and uh, you know what's going on in your own life, and everybody else's life seems to put, be put together. They've got it all together. They're, you know, their family's great, and and uh, and now you have to deal with this whole social media thing where uh, they're putting out all of their their best stuff. And so, uh, while everybody's life seems to be going okay, you feel like you're just being held together with duct tape. You know, you just feel like you're you're losing it. And there's a lot of things that can cause you to lose it. Um, I have learned that age can cause you to uh, to lose it. Uh, recently, my eyes just said, you know what, don't want to work anymore. Uh, yeah, we had a good run. You're going to need some help. So, uh, so now there's this whole glasses thing that's uh, that's got to happen. And uh, you know, uh, I've um, I've had conversations with my wife on the phone, wondering where my phone is. Uh, I, I've got to create momentum to get off of the couch now. You just rock, and then there's this spontaneous groan noise that comes out when you do. Uh, I've got to strategically plan uh, when and how I'm going to tie my shoes. I look down and go, I don't know. I think I can make it home. Uh, and so there's just a lot of, uh, a lot of things that kind of change uh, with that. Kids will make you lose it. Uh, if you have ever uttered the phrase, what were you thinking? Uh, you've already lost the battle. Because if you're trying to get into the mind and the understanding and the logic of, uh, of, a, of a child or a teenager, uh, it will make you go crazy. Uh, there's been times where, uh, I mean, who yells at a kid for not eating? Uh, and that's why they order uh, a food. No, I'll eat it all. They eat three bites and, you, and go, I'm full. Um, trying to put a child to bed is like trying to kill a horror movie monster. They just keep coming back. And, and so it, it drives, you, uh, drives you nuts. Um, people, people in general will make you lose it. If you're on the verge, just don't go to Walmart. Just stay home. Uh, I am teaching my, uh, my daughter how to, how to drive now, uh, which is uh, fun and scary all at the same time. Our number one rule is this. Um, Carlin, you've just got to understand that uh, and assume that everybody else on the road, uh, that none of them know what they're doing. 
they're going to do something reckless. They're going to do something selfish. They're going to do something thoughtless. Just uh, assume that. And a lot of times that's the philosophy that we can kind of take in life. Um, life itself can kind of make you lose it. Uh, as you've entered into different phases of life, and there's times where you think you've got it all together, and then all of a sudden um, there's job change, or there's health um, issues, or there's, um, again, I'm, I'm kind of watching my kids not be kids anymore, and um, that's been hard. And so I, I think there's things that we just naturally go through as people that can cause us to feel like things are kind of coming apart at the seams and to feel like uh, we're losing it. And so uh, over the years, uh, I've watched this. I've been doing uh, ministry. I've, I've had tons of conversations with people that said, I, you know, I, I knew what to do, and I don't know how I got here. Uh, I knew the right way and the, and the decisions that uh, I was supposed to, to make. And I, now I just feel like I've I've wandered and I really don't know what to do. And so it's easy to get dressed up and to carry a smile. It's easy to look like everything's uh, okay on the outside and inside we just feel like uh, we're losing it. Now before I get started, I want to make this clear. I'm not talking about salvation. The Bible's very clear that a person who has truly given their heart, they've truly repented of their sins, they've truly uh, handed things over to, uh, to Jesus Christ and accepted Him as Savior is, uh, is eternally secure. It is not us holding on to God, it's God holding on to us. And so that's not what I'm talking about. But even as Christians, uh, the Bible says is very clear there's things that we can lose. We can lose heart. Uh, we can lose our joy. Uh, we can lose hope. Uh, we can lose our honor and our reputation. We can lose the rewards of a life that's, uh, that's well lived. And so there are things that are at risk as we, uh, we come into this place today. And so as you turn to First uh, Samuel chapter 9, I want to take a look at the life of King Saul. And uh, he was the first king of Israel. And as we look at four major events that happened in his life, four big decisions uh, that he made, not only does it allow us to see the trajectory that his life took, um, it lets us see some of the major decision points in his life that led to the point of him losing everything. And so scholars disagree whether King Saul uh, was saved or not, and both of them have good arguments on either point, and I'm not here to argue that this morning. What we can agree is this. Um, he started off well, but um, because of the decisions that he made, uh, the choices that led to... Um, some of the, the terrible decisions that he experienced, consequences that he experienced, uh, King Saul, uh, what started off on being a stellar kingship and the beginning of a dynasty, because of his sin and disobedience, uh, he lost everything. He lost his relationships. Uh, he, lost his, uh, he lost his kingdom. Uh, he lost his leader, the leadership role in Israel, his blessing by God, and finally he lost his life. And so his life serves as a model for us in, uh, in the steps that is possible for us just to lose it all. And so how can we avoid making the same mistakes that we saw make uh, in his life? This is a path that's easy for any of us to find ourselves. Nobody is, is exempt from this. Uh, so we've got to be very aware of, uh, of this. And so this morning, uh, there's a challenge. 
Uh, for some of you in here who uh, may be on the verge, you feel like things are coming apart inside. And so this is a challenge of how you can begin to move back on, uh, on track and to encourage those who may have wandered away and do feel like they've lost it, uh, that we have a God who loves us, who loves broken things, who searches for lost things, who forgives and reassembles. And so uh, we're going to start by turning to uh, 1 Samuel chapter 9. If you'll look at a couple of verses and stand together as we honor the reading of God's Word, we're going to look at verse, uh, verses 15. Now the day of the Lord, uh, sorry, now the day before Saul came, the Lord had revealed to Samuel, tomorrow about this time, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin, and you shall anoint him to be prince over my people Israel. He shall save my people from the hand of the Philistines, for I have seen my people because of their cry uh, has come to me. And when Samuel saw Saul, the Lord told him, here is the man whom I spoke with you. It is he who shall restrain my people. Now flip over to uh, chapter 10 and one verse, uh, verse 9. When he turned back to leave Samuel, God gave him another heart, Saul. And all of these signs came to pass on that day. Father God, Lord, I thank you for allowing us to meet together. God, that you have a plan for us. God, that you love us and that you are uh, concerned about the outward ways that um, we look, but God, uh, you're concerned about the heart. And so God, I pray that you speak to our hearts this morning. Transform us. Challenge us. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Listen, up to this point, um, God had established judges to rule over the people uh, with himself being king. And that was good for a time, but as the, uh, the people around got uh, increasingly um, diluted with the culture that was around them, they began to uh, say, we, we want a king. We want a man that we can look to that will, will rule over us. And, uh, and God said, no, I am your king. And this is how we've established, we've established ourselves to be different from the, the people that are around and the kingdoms that are around. You're not supposed to look like the world that's surrounding you. You're supposed to look different. You're supposed to be different. And so all of the, the rules and the establishments that he had made up until this point was to uh, differentiate him, his people from the people that were around. And so the people still cried. They said, listen, Samuel, you're getting old. You can't do this job anymore. And the, the sons that you want to hand this responsibility over to, they're godless. We don't want them. We want a king. And so Samuel went to God and said, listen, this is what the people were saying. And God said, do you, you need to go and tell them what they're having to give up. Do you realize that their daughters are going to have to serve in the kingdom and their sons are going to have to go out to war, that this man is going to be the defender? Are you really wanting that? And so as the people said, yes, that's what we really want. And so God said, that's fine. Then I'll give you a king. And even in, uh, in that decision, we see God's graciousness. Because he picked a man who, was, um, who looked apart, first of all, the Bible says that he was tall and he was handsome. In fact, he said he was handsome a couple times. So if you know the Bible says you're good looking, you're probably good looking. <laughs> and so he was able to lead. He was confident. I mean, he had, he had everything that the people that we will, would want. If it would have been me and I'm picking out, oh, you want a king? 
I'll, I'll, I'll give you a king. I'll find the biggest doofus on the planet. We'll, we'll make him king, and you'll all be crawling back to me, uh, wanting, to be, uh, wanting me to, to be your king again. But that isn't what God did. And so we see Saul as he starts off, um, and he, had, uh, he was humble, and he was unsure, uh, unsure of himself. He had fears, he had anxieties, he, uh, he worried about acceptance. Uh, and we see um, Samuel anoint him and God give him a new heart. And then all of a sudden, he started a progression. As a man who started off well, who had a heart for God, we see how he ended up and how he got to that place. And that's what I want to look at this morning and answer this question. How do we avoid losing it all? Uh, how can we allow God to keep us all together in this? And so uh, the first thing is this. You must decrease. It can't all be about you. Flip over to uh, chapter 13. We'll look at, um, at verse 8. And it says this. He waited seven days. That would be Saul. Uh, the time appointed by Samuel, and Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattering from him. Now, let me tell you a little bit about what's going on. Um, Samuel had uh, told Saul, listen, uh, you're going to begin to go through these battles, and as you're experiencing the, uh, the benefits and the, uh, the, uh, the, the victories of winning these wars, you're going to go down to Gilgal, and I need you to wait for there. And that was a prophecy that happened uh, a while back in, in this. And so um, we see that that's a, a really important thing for, uh, Saul, uh, for Saul to wait there. Now, from the time that we've kind of made our grand appearance on earth, we've, uh, we've kind of become pre-wired for selfishness. You can see that uh, even in the, the nursery. But as we've grown, it is a, a constant worldly philosophy that... that uh, feeds this desire for us to, to please ourselves and to look after our, our own needs. And it shows up in a lot of the inconveniences that we have in life. Um, I don't know when Yuli traffic got so nightmarish. Uh, that's not what I remember growing up. But right now, if you go through Yuli, uh, which I'm sure you do quite a bit, let the person in front of you not push that gas pedal quick enough. How quicker is your hand wanting to move toward the, the horn to kind of Get them, uh, get them going in those things. Uh, or when we go to a restaurant and our food not come out quite right. Uh, or our service not be quite up to our expectations. Or somebody sits in our seat or there's a song that we don't like. Or something doesn't go our, our way. Or somebody has a different political position or us or a different sin, uh, skin color from us. And all of a sudden we have these selfish tendencies that rise to the top that sometimes we can mask as uh, righteous indignation or uh, justify. But at the core of these things uh, is selfishness. Listen, this is why there's difficulty in marriages. This is why raising kids is so hard because we are pre-wired to look after our own needs and when our own needs aren't getting met, then we begin to rebel about, uh, against this thing that's causing the discomfort in us. Marriage and raising kids is about giving up who we are for the needs of the other people who we say we love. This is why the Christian life is so difficult. Because we are constantly looking after what we want and what we desire. And by definition, God says, no, that's not the command here. It's about following my desires and my wills for your, for your life. 
And we think we're giving up something. I like to tell our teenagers this. If, if you knew everything God knew, then your choices would be what God's choices would be for you. If we had a glimpse of the, the understanding of what God has for us, we would be making the choices God wants us to make, and, and we would do that happily, giving up these things that we think that we want so desperately. And so we see this a lot of early success for King Saul. In chapter 11, after he was anointed and proclaimed king, he gathered this army together uh, to defeat a, uh, a group of people uh, called the Ammonites, led by Nahash, uh, who was oppressing his people. And so he, the first thing that he did when he got into uh, to be king is to take care of this guy and those people and relieve God's people of the oppression that they were experiencing. This was a good move on his part because the people who people loved him. You know, he even had critics at that point when when God said Samuel said, this is the king. He's been anointed by God. Look at him. And he's awesome. And he still had people in the kingdom going this guy for real. God, this is the guy you picked out which shows that there's always going to be critics. You're not always going to make everybody happy. And so in this we see that uh, uh, after he defeated these people and he, he went, you know what, I'm not worried about those critics. We're going to give glory to God. We're not going to worry about those guys. He's just racking up wins. The people love him. And so we see a lot of this early success. But by chapter 13 where we're at right now, Saul had been king for, uh, for two years. He had amassed an army of about 300,000 people, and the Philistines were uh, lying in wait. And he went, you know what? I don't need 300,000 people. Just give me 3,000 people. I'm going to split them up between me and uh, my son Jonathan, and uh, we're going to go and take care of this thing. And Jonathan went out and defeated the Philistines, basically he and, and his people, and Saul took all the credit for, uh, for that. And then after that was to happen, this prophecy to go down to Gilgal, which is where we're at. You need to go down there after you've won this battle and wait for seven days. At that point, Samuel said, I'll come, I'll offer the sacrifice. And then after God has accepted that, then you can go and finish off the Philistines as God commands. And so he goes down to Gilgal. He waits for seven days. There's no sign of Samuel. The Philistines are starting to gather around, and, uh, and Saul gets panicked. His army is beginning to, uh, to spread out. And so uh, in verse 9, he says this, uh, So Saul said, Bring the burnt offerings here to me, and the peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. This was a problem. He wasn't qualified to do that. And so... Uh, he said, listen, I, I don't know if he was sitting around like looking at his watch going, I don't know, Samuel, you said you were going to be here and you're not here. You know what? I'm just going to do it. I'm the king, after all. I know what to do. Uh, I'll just offer those up, offer that up. And then um, as soon as he did that, the Bible says Samuel came in, which is about right, right? And Samuel said, what, what are you doing? Uh, you're, you're not supposed to be doing this. And so look as, uh, as Saul responds to uh, these things. And Saul said, when I saw that my people were scatter scattering from me, you didn't come with the days that you said you were going to be here. And the Philistines have mustered up at Michmash. And I said, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I've not sought the favor of the Lord. So I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. 
And Samuel said to Saul, You have done foolishly and have not kept the commandment of the Lord. He said, I mean, I wanted to, I wanted to obey, but I could handle this. I forced myself to do it. Pride and impatience and fear and selfishness and deception are all motivations in his choice here. Listen, the default position when things aren't working out for us isn't for us to grab the wheel for ourselves. When things aren't happening in our time the way we think that it should, self-reliance is at the core of our rebellion against God. And the core belief that we think that we can do it on our own, we think we can do it better than God, we think we can do it quicker than God, is the basic definition of sin. And so essentially what we do is the exact same thing that the Israelites did in saying, no, we want a king, and in fact we put ourselves on the throne and say, we are king. Problem is, we're terrible gods. You cannot live a life marked by selfish choices without the consequences that are to follow. And many times, the root of our losing it begins with our own selfish choices. Proverbs says there's a way that seems right to us, but in the end uh, leads to destruction. We have a God that has created and keeps the universe together. He can handle anything you've got going on in your life. So if you want to begin to bring about order in your life, the first step, the first thing you need to look at is the place that you have decided to have in your own life. If you are God, if you are king, if you are in control, then it's, it's just a matter of time before you find yourself out of control. Here's the second thing. Live obediently. Just do what God says. Flip over to chapter 15. Listen, understand this. God loves you, and he wants the best for you. He's not trying to, to ruin things. And Disobedience is the result of selfish living. If you've made it about yourself, then inevitably that is going to come against what God uh, says to do. And then you have decided you're the authority in your life. Disobedience is the result. And once you determine you're the, author you're the authority, then uh, this is going to be the natural conclusion. So uh, the next steps in King Saul's life are littered with uh, partial obedience and complete disobedience. He's fully embraced his kingship by now. Uh, and, and while he acknowledges God, he's not uh, obeying God. And so in chapter 15, uh, it starts off by God giving Saul another chance. He says in verse 1, And Samuel says to Saul, The Lord sent me to you, uh, sent me to anoint you king over his people. Now therefore listen to the words of the Lord. Now I don't know about you, when you're having a conversation with somebody, and you get to the point where you go, Now listen to me. Now, that's a, a, a pretty clear indication that the thing that I'm about to say uh, is very important and you need to get right. And so Samuel is very clear about the, uh, the next thing. It's a specific way of saying, please play, pay close attention. And so he goes on and he says, thus says the Lord of hosts, I have noted what Amalek did to Israel in opposing them on the way out. Uh, when they came out of Egypt. Now go and strike Amalek and devote to destruction all that they have. 
Do not spare them, both, uh, but kill both man and woman, child and infant, ox, sheep, camel, donkey. Everything must go. We can easily slip into uh, this way of thinking uh, when we struggle. Because as we continue this story, we see this. So Saul summoned the people. And they went in uh, to, uh, to destroy. But the problem was, in verse 8, um, it says, He took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive, and devoted to destruction all the people with the edge of the sword, but Saul and the people spared Agag. And the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the fatted calf and of the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them. All that was despised and worthless, they devoted to destruction. So essentially, here's what he did. He said, I know what God said, but why let a uh, perfectly good cow go to waste? Do you know how many steaks we could get out of that guy? Like, we've got all of these calves and lambs, all of these things that are, uh, are going to be beneficial to us. Look at all of the stuff that they have. And so the stuff that's junk, we don't need that. We can destroy that. But the stuff that is good, that we think is good, that can add to the kingdom, that we can bring in, uh, we'll keep those things. The problem was that's not what God had told him to do. So, God reveals to Samuel in chapter 10 uh, what Saul had done and tells him that he even regrets making Saul king. Saul's got a, uh, um, or Samuel's got a pretty res funny response. It says he was angry, you think? Uh, and, and so he's, he's going like uh, somebody telling, on, telling you about something that your kid did. He's like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding? Did I not just say, listen to the words of the Lord? And you go out and immediately do the opposite of the thing that I said to do. And so he goes and approaches, uh, approaches Saul. And, uh, and Saul says, look, we did it. I did everything that God asked me to do. And, uh, and Samuel says, well, where did the cows come from? Where did you get these sheep? All of this stuff, where, where did all of that come from? And so uh, Saul answers back, he um, says, well, uh, this is what had happened. Uh, verse 15, it says, Saul said, they have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen. I really didn't have anything to do with this. It was, this was the people's fault. Uh, they're the ones that wanted to bring all of these uh, these back. And then Samuel said to Saul in verse 16, Stop. I'll tell you what the Lord said to me this night. And then he begins to proceed uh, to let him know how, uh, how often this... Listen, repentance starts with owning your sin. You can't start a, uh, a forgiveness, uh, asking forgiveness of somebody by bringing somebody else into it. I don't know if you've ever been offered an apology and the apology starts off, but uh, I'm sorry, uh, but, or I'm sorry you feel that. That's not an apology. I saw this, um, this ad not long ago. Had, uh, it was for a flower shop. It had this little flower arrangement there. And then right beside it had a little bigger flower arrangement. And then had a gigantic flower arrangement. And it said, how much trouble are you in? 
And so my thought was, there ain't a flower arrangement big enough for if I'm, if I'm in trouble at home because my wife doesn't want flowers. If we've had a fight and I roll in with flowers, that's not what she wants. She wants an apology. And so too many times, here we are uh, offering up our, our, our praises and things when God just wants an apology. I don't know if you write in your Bibles, but look down at, uh, at verse 20, uh, 22 in chapter 15. And this is a good verse to underline. And Samuel said, Has the, has the Lord a, uh, as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as obedience to the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. And to listen than the fat of rams. And it's awesome that you've come in here this morning to church. It's great that you sang, uh, sang praises as we sang these songs. Or that you're taking notes or that you're reading, uh, reading Bible. What does that look like as you walk five minutes from here? What does that look like as you go to the restaurant today? How does the commandments of the Lord translate over into how you're doing your life in your family or how things are going at your job? Because none of this matters if we're not living obediently beyond this. All of this happens so that we can live obediently. And so uh, if we look at verse 12 and 13, Saul rolls in like a boss. Like he comes in going, I did all of this stuff. In fact, he was so proud of himself, he built a monument to himself afterwards. And so here we are as Christians, things that should move us to shame and to guilt becomes a source of pride and, and arrogance in something that we, uh, we brag about. So in verse 32, Samuel takes, uh, he does the thing that Saul should have done, takes matters into his own hands, and then Saul, uh, he finished that job and then he left, and that's the last time that Saul sees Samuel alive. Matthew tells us that if we'll seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, His commandments, then all of these things will be added unto us. And so instead of us trying to please ourselves and then trying to go out and do what, our, what we feel like we need to do, if we'll just sit back and obey one thing, just obey God, just follow His commandments, He'll take care of all of the other things. Here's the third thing that we need to do in order to uh, uh, not lose it. We need to find contentment. Uh, flip over to chapter 18. Chapter 18, find contentment. Uh, so now, uh, Saul has this in, inflated view of himself. Um, and that inflated view has led to this consistent uh, disobedience and the consequences of those disobedience are beginning to weigh on his heart and his mind. Because here's the deal. Uh, anytime that you step outside of the will of God, you are going to experience the consequences of your decisions. And when the Bible says that we experience those, it's just not always physically that we experience those consequences. Sometimes there is immediate reaction. Sometimes it's the thing that weighs on our heart and our mind. Not just only the, the separation and fellowship that we experience when we break that with God, but we, uh, we experience emotional distress and we carry those things around with us. Our decisions affect every part uh, of who we are. And the people that were closest to Saul at that point were seeing that going on in his life. 
He wasn't, any, uh, he wasn't a happy, confident king that he used to be. He's now afflicted in his heart and his mind. He can't sleep at night. The results of our choices affect every part of us. And so if you're unsettled and you're unhappy, you may want to start tracing your steps back to see if disobedience of choices find the root in the selfishness and that be the cause of what's going on in us. And so rather we have a bigger view of who God says we are or a smaller view than who God says we are, if we get to a place where we accept who God says we are, then we begin to experience contentment. At this point, uh, Saul is losing it. And as you look at in um, um, chapter 16, these people begin to see it. And they said, listen, here's what you need. Um, you need just a little music will calm you down. When you get all worked up and you uh, can't sleep and, and you're worried about all these kingly things, let's, we just need to play a little music. I know a guy. His name's David. He plays the harp like you wouldn't believe. And so we're going to bring him in, and when, when you start getting all upset and, and starting getting worked up, we're just going to ask him to play a little bit. It'll calm you down. And the Bible says that worked for a little bit. But it's just a Band-Aid. And all of us have these little Band-Aids that we, uh, we tend to run to when things start getting worked up in our lives. The problem is the, it doesn't go away. We still have to face that thing. Like when the song's over, the problem still exists. When the Band-Aid isn't it's not causing the healing to go on. And so we know the story. As uh, David was brought into the, the kingdom, he was kind of made a part of the king's uh, entourage, uh, so to speak. And so they go out to war. And, uh, you know, David comes to uh, bring his brothers uh, some food. And there they stand as they face the Philistines. And Goliath is in the way mocking God and David's looking at Saul and all of the people going, why are you letting him talk to, about God like that? Like, you realize we serve the, uh, the God of the universe. He can take care of this guy. Let's go out and, uh, and eliminate him. And Saul went, Psh, be my guest, little guy. You think you got this? Here's all of the armor that you need. David said, I don't, I don't want any of that stuff. Just give me some rocks. I got this slingshot. We'll take care of it. And he goes out. He defeats Goliath, brings back his head as a trophy, and all of a sudden, the legend of David begins to grow. As now as he is put in charge uh, of a lot of uh, Saul's armies, and he's experiencing win after win after win, then songs are being written about David. The song that the ladies are writing that says, Saul killed his thousands, but David's killed his ten thousands. Saul went, wait a minute. The ladies used to sing songs about me. Like, I used to be the hero of the story. I used to be the one that, uh, that was getting the, uh, the, the honor and the, the respect of the people. And now it's this guy? And the Bible says at that point, he set his eyes on David and this jealousy inside began to consume them. David became a constant fail, uh, reminder of the failure that Saul had experienced in his life. And he went after him. The, the following chapters are all about Saul trying to kill David. He became obsessed with him. Again, thinking that if I eliminate this guy, that that's going to bring the contentment in, in my life. 
And so, but when we are secure in who God created, and when we're faithful to His calling, obedient to His commands, satisfied with His provisions, then not only are we content with ourselves, but we're able to celebrate the accomplishments of other people and not look on them, taking our focus off of who God is and who God's, what God has given us, And not be focused on what's going on around us. The Bible uh, talks about us running the race that God has set before us. Not looking at the lanes around to wonder who's coming up or who might be uh, ahead of us. To learn to be content in ourselves. Here's the last thing. It's found in chapter 28. And so you can go ahead and turn over there. The last thing is that we need to silence worldly views. Saul's now under a lot of pressure from the Philistines. Isn't it funny, a guy who started off his uh, reign as king, uh, narrowing down an army of 300,000 down to 3,000 because he's not worried about the Philistines, now runs in fear of them? The Philistines began uh, to, um, to press down and the problem is, he's lost every, uh, Saul's lost every bit of uh, the godly influences in his life. Samuel has, uh, has died at this point. He's run David off into the caves. His son, Jonathan, he lost him over this decision to go after, uh, after David. It's all falling apart. And most importantly, God's voice has been uh, removed. Sin separates. And if you begin to see that the godly influences in your life are pulling away, if you see in your life, I don't, I don't want to go to church, I don't want to read the Bible, I don't want to be around that, there should be red flags and warning lights going off all over the place in your life. You are going off the rails. It's a sign you're moving further and further away from God. So in chapter 28, um, Saul goes to God. Not for repentance, but to, just to fix his problem. Because what do we do when life uh, goes crazy on us? That's the point where we begin to pray. That's when we go to church. And we don't go because we want the relationship with God. We go because we want the problem fixed. And that's what we see here. And if the problem doesn't immediately get the fix, then we default to the worldly wisdom that's around us. We turn to uh, the messages that we've heard in TV shows and movies and songs that we've poured into our, our hearts and our minds over the years. We turn to conversations that we're having with people who have no relationship with God whatsoever for wisdom. We'll listen to even our own voices until we do what God or what Saul does. I'm going to ask somebody who clearly doesn't have the answer to the problem. When we see this in chapter 28, there is a decree that Saul has put out because during, in that kingdom, there were uh, psychics and people who could talk with the dead. And so he said, we don't need any of that in the kingdom. We're going to put them out of the kingdom. And if you hear of anybody, then uh, we're, going to, we're going to put them to death. And so now Saul, who does not have a, an answer and thinks the only person that he can turn to now is, uh, is Samuel, he says, hey, um, does anybody of you, any one of you know uh, a psychic or a necromancer? 
And his advisors went, uh, yeah, we know there's a witch down in Endor. I'm sure she'll talk to you. Isn't it funny how quick godless advice can rise to the, the top when we're at a point of need? There's always, there's always sinful advice knocking at your door at a point where you feel like you need it the most. And so here's this advice to go in and see, uh, see this witch. And so Saul disguises himself and turns to this fortune teller. And then as he approaches her, he goes, hey, are, are, you, uh, are you a psychic? She went, no, 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 that's not allowed here. Went, Listen, I know you are, and as God lives, no harm will come to you. And so now Saul has drugged God into this. And so Saul asked her to contact uh, a dead Samuel. Do you realize how nuts this is? Do you realize how crazy the, the links that we will go to to get, a problem, to get an answer to a problem that we foresee in our lives? It sounds reasonable to us. It's not. And so we see this even in, uh, in Saul's life. Most scholars believe that at this point, God allowed um, Samuel to appear to Saul and give him what's going to happen the next day. Israel will be defeated. Your kingdom is going to be handed over to David. You and your sons will be killed. I'm sure that's not the answer that he was looking for when he went to God or went to, to this, uh, this psychic. You're not going to find the answer in um, a pursuit of happiness. A bigger house is not going to solve the, uh, the issues that's going on inside of you. It's not going to be a nicer car. It's not going to be a new wife or a new husband. It's not going to be better acting kids. It's not going to be um, a job promotion. If you are constantly looking, if you're starting a sentence that says, if only, you're already off what God's got for you. That's not going to be the answer. Nationalism isn't going to be the It doesn't matter how great America is. It's not going to fix the things that are going on uh, inside of you. You can't figure out a better way. And you've got to come to that place. Your way out of dissatisfaction and discomfort that you're experiencing only comes through repentance. It only comes from turning away or sacrificing yourself. It only comes through obedience of God's Word and the satisfaction that is found in a growing relationship with Him. That's the answer that you're looking for. So I don't know who's come in with what thing this morning. I, I don't know, I barely know any of you. So I don't know what uh, family problems you might be dealing with or personal issues that you might be uh, hiding. I know this, the answer is found nowhere else but in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so maybe you have come in here and you, do, you don't have that relationship. Maybe you've come out of, out of habit just every single week. But you don't have that thing, uh, that relationship that, uh, that brings you closer to God, that he can begin to take care of these things. In just a minute, we're going to have uh, an invitation. Music's going to play. We're going to bow our heads. We're going to close our eyes. And you're going to have an opportunity. 
You're going to have an opportunity to offer these, these things that you so selfishly want to hang on to. And, and lay those at the altar. You, you're going to have an opportunity to, uh, to say, you know, God, I, I know who you've made me to be and I'm content in that. I know what you've given me and I'm content in that. And I will turn nowhere else but to you. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, let's all stand together. As the music plays, I want to encourage you. This thing that God has shown you this morning, don't walk out with that. Leave that here. There's staff that, that would love to talk with you and to pray with you. And so I just encourage you as the music plays, this morning you move.